All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I have a very special guest on the show with me today. We have uh, Dr. Larry Lazarus. Uh, Dr. Lazarus is a physician with 30-plus years of experience specializing in medicine and psychiatry. He's the author of two prize-winning books about practical strategies to navigate America's complex healthcare system. After having developed as a physician coping strategies to deal with his own emotional reactions to the pandemic, he's treated physicians and other healthcare professionals and reviewed the scientific uh, and reviewed the scientific literature, developing successful treatment strategies for those suffering from traumatic stress reactions, such as PTSD. And uh, Dr. Lazarus has also recently co-authored a new book uh, called Insider's Guide to Quality Affordable Healthcare, Practical Strategies to Navigate Our Complex System and Save Money. Dr. Lazarus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So let's just jump uh, straight into your book. Tell me a little about um, kind of, you know, what the idea behind the book is and, and why you were sort of inspired to write it. Well, I had some relatives that uh, became ill in another state, and I was uh, behind the scenes trying to get some help for them. And I realized uh, that these are elderly uh, relatives. I realized how complex the system is. And I try to intervene in different stages of their treatment, even though I was out of town. So, and then uh, I was trying to figure out what type of Medicare insurance I should get for myself, uh, especially uh, Part D, the medication uh, coverage. And I found it took me about an hour or two uh, to try to figure out some simple things. And I've, and I realized that if I'm a doctor with so many years experience, how does the average person figure out how to uh, navigate through this very complex system? So another doctor and I, who's about my age, we're only separated by a few months, uh, decided to write this book for our own sake in terms of having to figure out the ins and outs and also to help uh, relatives, friends, and hopefully the public. So uh, this book came out about 11 months ago, and it's continually updated on a website that we also developed entitled uh, qualityaffordablehealthcare.net. So I, uh, I think it's a very good book, but I'm a little prejudiced, and I don't want to take all our time uh, sounding like a advertiser promotional type person. Sure. Well, up here. <laughs> well, it seems like your your book was uh, uh, published at a pretty well, pretty unique time as far as just before this uh, the sort of pandemic started, right? A few months prior. Yes. Uh huh. So let's talk a little about that because you know on your bio you're talking about you know, sort of you're working uh, with healthcare workers, is that correct? Uh, as far as strategies to sort of manage um, reactions to the uh, COVID-19 crisis? Yes, I'm a uh, psychiatrist actually, and I, I studied uh, geriatric medicine and then my specialty was geriatric psychiatry for many, many years. Now I'm in uh, 
practice, private practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I became interested in uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, when I realized that I was having some personal problems coping with the pandemic. Uh, when it was obvious we needed to start wearing masks, I found myself going out of the house in the morning shopping, and I forgot my mask. And uh, I also found myself getting irritable because I couldn't do the things that I would look forward to doing, like visiting my family, uh, just the everyday things. So I began to uh, try to figure out well, what's going on with me. And I figured out it was quite obvious, uh, in addition to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that affect all of us, that there was now this pandemic that we couldn't see. It's not like an enemy you can send the military out to, uh, to fight. It's invisible, and uh, it's very scary. And uh, so realizing what I was going through, I developed, uh, not, it wasn't anything unique. Most of your listeners have adapted probably quite well to the pandemic and now are looking forward to the opening of American society. But I found a few things particularly helpful. One was uh, develop uh, new habits. When I went out of the house in the morning, one of the habits was to bring my mask and my gloves with me. And I, in my, where I live, I was uh, one of the first of maybe 10% of people who were shopping in early March wearing masks. And I didn't understand that. I felt self-conscious. I thought people thought I was a little strange. I didn't go as far as wearing an astronaut suit, which I had some thoughts about maybe purchasing. So I'd really look ridiculous uh, in shopping areas. So I, I've, I've gradually developed some habits. I realized that I was more irritable with my secretary, God bless her, uh, and some other people in my life. And I said, this is, this is not right. So in addition to adopting all the recommendations from the CDC, especially uh, one of my heroes is uh, Dr. Fauci, who I, I listen to whenever he comes on the air. And also, uh, we're fortunate in New Mexico, we have a very conscientious, health-minded governor who's been very protective of us. And New Mexico has, ha has had a very good record in terms of the pandemic. Uh, a third thing I found useful is keeping in touch with my family and friends, first by telephone and then adopting Zoom. Uh, being a little older, older people uh, take a little longer to adopt the new technologies if we adopt them at all. So I was uh, telephoning my family and friends, and I found that extremely useful because I live alone as a lot of older people do, widows and uh, people who are not married or in a partnership. Uh, so having contact with a lot of other people uh, helped to uh, settle this feeling of isolation and loneliness, 
which older people unfortunately can be very susceptible to unless they have a good family and uh, friendships with people. It's very important for older people, especially men, to be more social. Now, if you want to, I could explain why men are more vulnerable to isolation later. So anyway, having done that, I began reading about stress disorders because I thought it was pertinent to the pandemic. And I found that out uh, from my reading that particular uh, people are more vulnerable to developing stress reactions to the pandemic. And those people are uh, people that have problems with depression, um, anxiety disorders um, previous to the pandemic. And uh, it's been found that people that have emotional problems are more at risk for having exacerbations or an increase in their symptoms uh, during the threats of a pandemic. Um, now, other people that are at risk are first responders. By first responders, I mean physicians who are hospitalists working in hospitals who are seeing a tremendous influx of patients, at least until very recently, with COVID-19. But not only physicians, uh, nurses, uh, respiratory therapists, speech therapists, and uh, people delivering groceries to home, to people's homes, mailmen, um, firefighters who are often called in emergency situations to people's homes. And the reason that they're more at risk is because they're not only a bit fearful of contracting the virus, but secondary, and even sometimes more important, they're, they're afraid of bringing it home to their families and infecting their families because as we know, uh, a good percentage of people that contract COVID-19 do not have symptoms for, for the first four, six, or seven days. So there are a lot of people who have the infection but are, don't show any symptoms. So uh, these first responders, including my son, who happens to be a hospitalist, uh, he, he uh, wrote me a very emotional email, which I read very carefully, telling me what it was like being on the first, uh, as a first responder working in a hospital in a disadvantaged uh, part of the city, which has a, uh, a high incidence of uh, COVID-19, as we all know. The vulnerable populations are those living in nursing homes, um, board and care homes, uh, uh, the homeless. And, and we know that the minority groups in America are, are more at risk because they have underly underlying medical problems. Now, I think I'm bringing Coles to Newcastle here because most of what I'm talking about, uh, we all know. So I, I, I sort of may have digressed a bit from your question but maybe you can bring me back on, on target. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, just as far as, you know, uh, having sort of 
you know, process some of this stuff yourself and then, and then sort of how you're, how you're sort of integrating that, helping other physicians um, or healthcare workers, you know, who are, who are having to go through similar things. Were you, are you able to, do you talk with those individuals or, or how do you, do you communicate with those people? Well, in my uh, psychiatric practice, I see some physicians who are struggling with stress disorders. It may not be PTSD, but they may be precursors of PTSD. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder is a, uh, a psychic or emotional disorder. I like to talk about it in those terms. Um, and uh, so I've treated a number. For example, I, I have a young woman who's had multiple sclerosis for about 15 years. She, she's only in her 40s. And unfortunately, uh, she, oh, this was about a year ago, she went for a massage at, at a, what you thought was a highly recommended massage therapist. And of course, I'm not going to mention any names, uh, but uh, unfortunately, she was taken advantage of sexually being a young woman, very attractive, and uh, it, it was very traumatic to her. So on top of having multiple sclerosis, she now uh, experienced a sexual assault, which uh, really has caused her to have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and what, if you'd like to, I can tell you what those symptoms are for some listeners. That, yeah, yeah, that could be helpful. That may have had traumatic experience in life. Uh, well, one of the symptoms is uh, insomnia and um, frightening dreams. Uh, and it may be dreams related to whatever the trauma was. In this case, with this young woman, it was the sexual assault. Um, flashbacks, where just uh, if somebody hears a, a car, backfire in the street, it might remind them of uh, where they were living in a neighborhood where there were shots, where, where people were actually killed at night. And so even hearing a sound can trigger what they call a flashback, where it almost feels they're reliving the same experience as the trauma. Uh, there's withdrawal and isolation. They try to avoid situations that remind them of the trauma. So for example, um, uh, if somebody say develop PTSD during wartime, uh, they may respond to news, uh, uh, a film or a TV program showing scenes from war that could cause a, a, a really severe emotional reaction uh, uh, are uh, depression is is another common finding uh, avoidance of anything that might remind somebody of of the traumatic experience uh, and a general withdrawal I mean it's they become fearful of of uh, of situations uh, those are just some of the symptoms. You don't have to have all those symptoms to meet the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. 
those of you who might be interested in more information about the symptoms, uh, I just posted a uh, three-page article on the website that Dr. Jeff Forster and I, our co-website uh, uh, editors of, it's called uh, qualityaffordablehealthcare.net. It's all one word. And so we posted two days ago an article about who's susceptible to PTSD and what are the common signs and symptoms. Interesting. Okay. And as far as, you know, say even with, you know, something like COVID, you know, as far as the people, you know, obviously we know some people, you know, go through traumatic events, go through stressful situations, you know, and come out of it, you know, either with PTSD or without, you know, what do we, what do we know as far as the people, you know, uh, what 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 causes someone to either develop PTSD or be able to, you know, come back into society, you know, say a soldier, um, you know, come back into society and not have a, a diagnosed condition like that? Is it okay, genetics? That, or? Sure. Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. The things that protect people from developing stress disorders, there's, there's different types uh, but the classical well-known one is PTSD, is, uh, is good health and good emotional strength. Um, I can go into detail about that, but um, being healthy, uh, being emotionally uh, strong, and, and having gotten through other stressful times in life. We all have stressful times in life, and and the vast majority of us get through them fine. Um, so what protects you also is a good support system. Uh, if you experience some trauma and you have good close friends, it's, it's healthy to talk about what you've just gone through. It, it's it's uh, called a kind of a catharsis, or it's a release of of what, what one has just experienced that might have been trauma. So taking wartime as an example, if uh, somebody's, say, in Vietnam with a, with a platoon that's going out on a mission, uh, it's important that, that the leader of that platoon is someone that men look up to and feel is going to protect them. So having leadership, whether it's uh, on a local basis, a city, national, uh, is very important to help people through traumatic experiences. For example, uh, during uh, World War II, I was just born, <laughs> so I'm giving away my age. <laughs> I remember listening to fireside chats of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, or maybe I was told what he said so many times that it feels like I was sitting there listening and uh, hearing him say, uh, uh, was it Roosevelt? You have, or maybe Winston Churchill said, uh, was it Winston Churchill or Franklin Dillon who said, you have no fear to fear, but fear itself. Mm. Now you, you can tell <laughs> Or some of your listening audience. Man, I, I needed to pay better attention in history class. I'm not, I don't remember. I, I know that quote okay, though. I, I'm going to tell you it was uh, 
I think it was uh, Winston Churchill. Anyway, uh, so if you, if, if you, now another, things that also protect you is if you've had no previous traumatic experience in your life. I mean serious traumatic experience like uh, growing up uh, being sexually abused or uh, having a serious accident or illness when you're young and having to be um, in a hospital for a long period of time. That's very, that can, that can result in, in uh, depending on how severe the trauma is and how well the, your family supported you, what hospital you were in, how kind the nurses were. Um, uh, previous episodes of depression or anxiety, having those disorders might make you a little more prone to develop uh, PTSD where you're susceptible to um, some later life traumatic experience. Now to take a more recent example, the recent um, demonstrations uh, over the killing or death of uh, 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 George Lloyd. I got that right? Uh, Floyd, I believe, George Floyd. George Floyd, oh, thank you. Um, no, that, that was a situation in which uh, peaceful demonstrators uh, were very, and it was very good to see the youth of America out, like they demonstrated during the Vietnam uh, era. Of course, I'm telling you what my political and philosophical orientation is. Here. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was very inspiring to see the youth come out and and really feel strong about um, the uh, some of the racial inequalities in America. But uh, later in the later on in the stages of the demonstrations, a different element came out and uh, may have taken advantage of the situation, breaking windows, uh, robbing from stores, and also people being injured uh, by the uh, tear gas uh, or the rubber bullets that, that we used. And, uh, and, and some people really got uh, severely uh, injured during the demonstrations, you know, thank God it was just uh, a relatively small number of people, but those people, uh, really, you can look at that as a traumatic experience. Can you imagine being uh, lying out on the street and, and maybe a policeman who's frustrated or uh, is, has problems of his own, giving you an extra uh, club on the head? Or whatever. I mean, it's pretty traumatic, especially if you if you're physically injured. Uh, that can be a prelude to uh, emotional injury as well. Gotcha. So, Dr. Lazarus, um, I'm curious. You know, as far as moving forward, you know, hopefully, you know, sooner than later, you know, once we get over, uh, you know, the the uh, the COVID. Uh, madness that's going on right now, you know, what do you think as far as, go, uh, you know, what's going to change as far as healthcare goes? Um, you know, if anything, uh, I, I mean, I would expect to see pretty big healthcare reforms that, that occur in this country. What, what's your take on that? 
Well, one thing is, is obvious to all of us is that uh, people don't have to travel an hour and a half to their physician's office through uh, city traffic or, or from a uh, 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 farmland or, or you know. Uh, so telemedicine is certainly in the forefront now when people couldn't go to see their physicians. So that's, that's a given. That's already uh, part of our, uh, our, our way of thinking about visiting a, a doctor. Of course, in many cases, you need to see the doctor firsthand. He has to examine you physically. But uh, taking a good history uh, is a really important part of clarifying what the problem is. So that's quite obvious. Um, just like going through a war, like take World War II, for example. Of course, nobody wants to have to go through a war to discover new techniques, new medical findings, new antibiotics. But wars, despite how terrible they are, they do res result in a lot of advancements in um, in the knowledge of, of uh, injuries, for example, and surgical techniques. And likewise, with COVID-19, there's a lot we're gonna learn about viruses that we didn't know before. Uh, hopefully we'll get a vaccine. Nobody knows exactly when. We're all hoping it's sooner rather than later. So there, there'll be a vaccine, uh, is what Dr. Fauci and other people have told us. Maybe there'll be more effective treatments for people who develop lung and other conditions from COVID-19. I mean, part of the frustration of physicians during this whole pandemic is that very ill patients, particularly the elderly or those that have concomitant medical problems, uh, are very, uh, come into the hospital very, very sick. And unfortunately, we know a lot don't come out of the hospital alive. So uh, that's what we've learned too. We keep relearning there's disparities in America. Obvious economic, racial disparities. Uh, and we all know, so I'll just restate it, that uh, uh, Afro-Americans, only account for 13% of America's population, but has accounted for about 24, 25% of people who've gotten COVID-19. Why is that? And part of the reason is that uh, the healthcare for minority groups who have economic disadvantages uh, are not as available and is not as uh, as good as somebody that has a very good health insurance or somebody who who is who has the money to go to the the uh, the finest experts in the country there are disparities now that can't be led that can't just be legislated i mean there'll be legislation to try to uh, i hope improve the Affordable Care Act. I personally feel the Affordable Care Act was a blessing for America. And the polls show that um, 
many parts of the population of America that qualified and applied and got the Affordable Care Act and the insurance have, have, have fared very, very well. They have easier access to health care. They have the security of having some insurance. Now, granted, the cost of it has gone up tremendously, uh, the, the private insurance companies. But people who are on public aid, whose uh, income is below a certain level, they qualify to get on to Medicaid, which pays for all their medication, pays for their doctor visits. And I have to tell you, I have, I have a patient or two who qualify for the, for, for the uh, insurance, but they, they have some anxiety about having to register and having to go through that process. And unfortunately, there, there are tens of thousands of people in the United States that could easily get on to the, use the Affordable Care Act. But for, for many reasons, including just not knowing how to do it or having anxiety about going on what the English call going on the dole, D-O-L, I think it's spelled. Uh, so people are not taking advantage of that. Now, um, so... How is America going to be? How is America going to be different? Hopefully, it's not going to be like when there's another school shooting. Okay, the the horrendous toll that these school shootings have taken on Americans and families and communities cannot be calculated. There's no statistic for how many people uh, suffered from severe grief reactions for communities that were devastated by these things. So what happens? What happens is there's marches, there's calls for reform, and then when it gets to Washington, D.C., now we're getting into politics, there's no significant legislation, no big piece of legislation that's been passed that protects school children from uh, these horrendous uh, risk of being uh, attacked and killed in school. Now, I'll tell you how another country did this. Finland has a prime minister who's 44 years old woman with a young son. There was a shooting in school in Finland. And within a week or so, the prime minister got on television and she declared that there were no more guns allowed. I'm sorry, I said Finland. <laughs> I mean New Zealand. I'm sorry. Late in the afternoon, I don't take responsibility for my, uh, mm -hmm. my Freudian or other slips. It was, it was in New Zealand. 44-year-old <laughs> prime minister gets on television. She says, henceforth, we are not having guns in New Zealand. And you know how many school attacks they've had in New Zealand since she made that executive order? None. Zero. So, I mean, maybe. So what I'm really saying is that I'm hoping that these demonstrations are not, you know, after a while, they stop. 
there's already legislation being proposed in Congress. I'm only hoping that with the aftermaths of this pandemic, that there's really careful thought that goes into how do we deal with racial disparities? What are some better ways of making America the land of the free and the brave and, and equal opportunity for all? I mean, these are, these are the bedrocks of our, uh, how our country began. And unfortunately, uh, they've been undermined very slowly, but there's no question about how, uh, why, and I'm not going to get into that, but how and why America, why this racial tension has come more to the fore in, in these last uh, three or so years. Um, there's no question in anybody's mind uh, some of the reasons for that. The fact is, it's existed for more, more for it's existed for decades, and uh, there are no easy answers. I think it, it'll take a lot of community efforts. It it takes people going to the voting polls and voting. You want to change America? You cannot stay home and not vote. Uh, and whatever party or candidates you vote for. I'm not making any case for that at all, but people have to vote. That's the least that they can do, as well as support the candidates in different ways uh, that they're capable of. I mean, years ago, my daughter and I <laughs> in Santa Fe, New Mexico, walked around uh, to people's homes and rang doorbells. But on the lawn, we noticed on people's <laughs> lawn were big signs. I'm democratic. I'm voting for so and so. So we're sort of, again, like taking calls to Newcastle. My daughter and I, you know, we, we had a lot of laughs, but there was no question about where New Me uh, Santa Fe were, was uh, politically, where their stands were politically. Uh, so I hope there's going to be a lot of changes and, and a lot of good changes. Will it solve? All the problems, absolutely not. But I think it'll it'll be a good beginning, and COVID nineteen should uh, teach us a lot of things. Absolutely, I can share a few things it's taught me. It's taught me to be more appreciative of life as it was before COVID nineteen. Uh, consumerism is is not. I don't feel it's that is important. I think family relations relations with friends, doing good deeds, helping people is what should come out of COVID-19. Uh, Absolutely. We all have to go back to the department stores and buying, buying things, uh, the newest toys or things, but to focus on what's really important in life, loving the people you love, uh, being kind to the people that you don't love or, or, or not like, but just being a, a kinder person and try to uh, do a little bit more to help your family and people that you care about. I think if that comes out of co this whole pandemic, plus all the scientific things that are gonna be learned and how we can protect ourselves from additional pandemics, 
the last big one, the real big one, of course, was 1918. So it's been 100 years since we, of course, there have been other pandemics too, but they haven't affected America in any way like this one. Sure. Well, Dr. Lazarus, we're coming up on the end of the show, but um, this was a great, I'm glad I had you on. Uh, can you tell, you know, our listeners who enjoyed, uh, you know, this conversation, where can they, you know, find your work uh, or your book, you know, or where, uh, you know, any, anything you want to provide them, um, you know, as far as to contact you if you want. Sure. Well, you can contact me directly to my uh, email. And, and my email address is Larry. It's all lowercase, L-A-R-R-Y at L-W-L-A-Z-A-R-U-S dot com. A second way to contact me is through the website, uh, which I'll state again. It's uh, quality affordable healthcare. That's one word. Quality affordable healthcare dot net, N-E-T. It's not dot com. It's dot net. See, I remember that. I couldn't remember hmm. Frank London, I couldn't remember Winston Churchill, but I, I do remember <laughs> uh, .net. Uh, and I encourage people to take a look at the website. Uh, it's, it's no cost. We've been uh, publishing on it for the last three years. We uh, suffer from a deficiency of uh, people who follow us, and if you if you want to help, I'd rather have a deficiency of followers than a B12 deficiency. But hmm. if you want to uh, help correct our website deficiency? Please take a look at it, and it's very easy to register. And you can send us questions through the website, and I promise my Dr. Forster and I will respond to your questions either personally if you give us your email or we'll answer them on the website itself. So please, uh, we, we encourage you to help us with our deficiency of followers. Awesome. Yes, please, please do <laughs> recommend it um, to all the listeners. Um, and if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and like, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are Roscoe's wetsuit. Uh, you can also check out audio versions of the podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, Dr. Lazarus, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been very enjoyable, and I'll be glad to join you again. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Thanks so much.